Philippians chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 4, and a very well-known passage, passage we love to read and quote, and we hear very often, and we read to ourselves to encourage ourselves, which is fitting and, and, and appropriate, but that is our text this morning. Before I read our, in, in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul also writes in Corinthians chapter 4, he writes, he writes about their ministry and about what he's going through and, and about he and the other apostles, but also just Christians, really, is what he's saying. But he says that while they're serving the Lord, in chapter 4 of Corinthians, he says that, that there's, we are, there's this pressure all around us, that we have this treasure of Jesus himself, the glory of the Lord inside of us in these earthen vessels. And, and the picture is, is that, man, we're, we're weak. You know, we're falling apart. We're... We're not all that. And we try so hard to be all that. That's a whole other discussion. Anyway, we're falling apart. I don't care how hard you try. By the time you're 50, it ain't gonna, your muscles aren't going to hold. You can work out all you want. Not that you shouldn't. My point is, is that our bodies are breaking down. The, the material, physical stuff, it's all, it's all happening. We, we know it. But he's talking here about all the pressures of life. In the ministry and in serving Jesus. He said, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're, we're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're, he's basically saying all these things are happening to crush us and break us down and crack us. He goes, we're perfect, we're weak, but we will not be destroyed because we have this. we're going to be intact. Our spirits will be. And because Jesus lives in us, all the stuff around us can happen, but we will not be destroyed as children of God. We have the living God living in us. Amen. And we, and we will finish when we submit to him and we're doing his will. He will cause us to finish and he'll keep us. We will not be crushed by all the stuff of life. And so in chapter 4 of Philippians, in verse 4, Paul says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to a trusted brother and sister. The greatest and best psychologist in the world. You fill in the blank, but we we know what it says. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And he finishes again. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives, I believe here, you know, five key phrases to help us go through and to reduce stress in our lives. You know, when I think of, of stress, there's different kinds of stress, but I think of a bridge, right? And it's a long suspension bridge and it has all this weight. There's stress on it. There's a burden. There's a load on it. And sometimes we go through life, even as Christians, we face all these things. There are burdens. There are weights. There are things that come. And God doesn't desire for us to crack and collapse and fall apart. That's not God's desire. And he enables us so that that doesn't happen in our lives. But he wants us to do it his way. Because when we start doing things our way, 
boy, things start buckling and cracking and falling apart, don't they? They really do in our lives. And, and it's, it's painful and it's not fun sometimes. But I believe there's five key phrases to help us reduce the stress in our lives. In fact, I think you can get rid of them in our lives. Maybe not completely because that's part of life and being human. But it'll help us to get through and deal with them. So let's look at this prescription. First, in verse 4 and 5, the first thing we need to do is to rejoice continually. Rejoice all the time. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, I say, mope. (laughs) Rejoice. Now, all right. I wrote this in my notes because I'm just thinking this and I'm I'm reading Paul. And and I have a question right after this statement. I, I, I quoted him and I said, is he kidding? That's what I, that's, that's right here. Is he kidding? And I asked that again. Is he kidding? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice? Like, we're supposed to always be joyful in life? Like, really? Well, all right, we've got to hang out because I want to know how you do that, Dennis. How, but, but to, to, that's where you go. It's not a matter of how you do it, right? You, but rejoice always. And I say, for real, is this even possible in my life? Because we go up and down and we have these seasons or phases in our life where it feels like there's no joy. And I'm going to come back to this at the end um, and, and, and share a little bit with you about that. But how much joy is there? When you, I mean, let's just be transparent and honest. How much joy is there in learning you have cancer? It's okay to answer that because that's true. Thank you, sister. There's no joy in, but, but, but you're supposed to rejoice always. He didn't say, he didn't place conditions. He didn't say when you should or shouldn't rejoice. He said rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always means always. There is no mixing of the words. So no, you're not going to be jumping up and down for joy when you get a diagnosis like that. But you're supposed to rejoice. I'm just trying to make a point. That's why I'm saying, is this for real? Is he really ki- I mean, how much joy, how joyful are you when you find out that, that a friend of yours or whatever, there's unfaithfulness or betrayal or whatever, how much joy is there in that? How much can you be filled with joy? I mean, really? When you know that a loved one that you're very close to dies. It's real life. And yet we're told by the Bible, by the Apostle Paul, that we should rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. He's not, he, again, I, you can study it, read it for yourself. He's not placing any conditions or giving outs. Or, rejoice always. And he says it in a tense that is, it's like a command. That's what he's saying. There must be a hundred million things in this life that are killjoys. Amen? Okay, I'm talking to myself. What makes this statement even harder is that Paul is saying, I'm giving you this charge. And and I'm ordering you, I'm telling you, you need to rejoice. And I'm going to say it again. And any time, and it's a pattern, when you study scriptures and when you're doing a study and you break it down, you're you're expositorily and you're, you're digging in, when you see repetition, you better pay attention. And he repeats himself. So he means rejoice. He doesn't mean when you want to or if you feel like it. He says rejoice. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in this situation where there is someone comes along, <laughs> this used to be me kind of with my kids or whatever, 
you know, it's getting harder. You're running around and you're, you're in a group and someone comes by and they got the camera or their phone or whatever. Everyone smile and pose. And you're like, and you're just like, you're just not feeling it. You're like, just go away. Right? We've been there. I've been there. We've been there. And th- that's the thing. That, that we, 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 then all of a sudden we get in this group and we're like, we have this like, stilted smile that we're, I can't even do it because, but we're, we're forcing this smile in that situation because we're supposed to look like we're happy that we're in the picture with all these people when we don't want a picture taken of us. Paul isn't talking about joy being expressed, whether it's outwardly on the inside being like that. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that it should be like that where we're forced to smile. He's not talking about keeping that smile on your face even through horrendous circumstances. He's not saying that. When Paul says rejoice, he's not even talking about surface delight at all. He's talking about an inner peace and even more specifically to a deep, if I could say, a sacred delight that comes from knowing that no matter what the circumstances are, inwardly you have the joy. Let's just, you have Jesus. You have Jesus. And in light of everything else, and in light of what we're going to gain in the future with God forever, you got Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we rejoice? The way you, you rejoice in every circumstance is that you understand where your joy is placed and where it's supposed to be placed and upon whom. Rejoice. In the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's where we, why we rejoice and, and, and where our joy is. is this, that prepositional phrase, nine times, because I looked, nine times in Philippians, it's used. And each time it is used, it's referring to situations that are impossible for any of us to handle alone. You can't do it alone. And as it says in Romans 8.35, Paul also said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I can't rejoice because Jesus is a conqueror, but I'm here on earth. No, you can. You can, you can rejoice. You, I, I'm here. He's not, I know he's with me, but he's not going through what I'm going through, and I'm here. And it's so, no, you can rejoice because nothing separates you from, from the love of Christ. Nothing can thwart God's plan for your life. No one can take you away from God. No one. You're God's, and you need to rejoice in that. And he loved us, and he's a conquering king, and... and He loves you to the core. And that helps us to understand what Paul means when he says that we should rejoice always or unceasingly or without ceasing or continually. Always do it. One of the great things about being a Christian is that because of our relationship with Jesus, we can be positive people in spite of negative circumstances. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that we're not never negative. I'm not saying I'm not negative. But... The secret for maintaining joy-filled or remaining joy-filled is remembering Jesus and his great promises. You know, doctors, look, I don't want to make light of this, but, but I'm just going to say it the way it is because it's the truth. The doctors tell you, I'm going to go back to that. The doctors tell you you have cancer. Can't steal my joy. Oh, I might not be happy. I might not be, you know, feelings, but inside I still know who I belong to and who I'm serving and, and he's still got a plan for me and I, I I'm going to go with Jesus. 
Jesus promises that one day I'll get a new body anyway. And I'm not trying to diminish or make light of these, these, these things, just so you understand. If somebody disappoints you or lets you down in life, you can't steal this joy. Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to depend on Jesus for my approval and acceptance because Jesus has always been faithful, never disappointed me. He may not have met my expectations, but he's never disappointed me. Death won't kill my joy. Jesus has defeated death. My sin, it's not, it's not a killjoy either because if I confess it, Jesus forgives. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You want to start reducing and mitigating stress in your life and all the burdens and pressures and things that weigh you down? Start rejoicing. Start, start looking inside of you and finding all the things that you can rejoice over because, first of all, you have God in your life. And not only is that to be an inner conviction of ours, but our joy is to be an outer characteristic too. Paul says in verse 5 that we should let our gentleness or our patience be evident to everyone, to all. Now, how does that connect? Because of our inner joy in Jesus, we can then be patient and gentle with others, helping them to understand what this deep, sacred delight is all about. And we know that, you know what, once we were without Jesus. We know that one, we go through this life as well, but we have the joy. We have Jesus. We have his presence. We have his promises. His word is there. And, and, and we are gentle and patient with people around us. That's not easy either. But Paul is telling us that the principle we should understand is that our rejoicing always and the demonstration of that joy as a characteristic of our life as we are gentle and patient with others is absolutely independent of circumstances, and absolutely dependent on Jesus' presence in our life. And the first step in reducing stress is to rejoice in the Lord always. The second one is that we should trust completely. Look what he says in verse 6. Trust completely. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, he didn't say anything about trust. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Don't be anxious about anything. Once again, Paul is really stretching us here. Don't be anxious over most things. I'm just keeping you attentive. Don't be anxious about anything. We love to qualify things and put conditions on things and make them more palatable or whatever. But he says that we should be anxious, not over most things, but don't be anxious for nothing, anything, no, nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. You know, easier said than done again. And Paul's not saying don't ever show any concern. Paul is not saying that. Concern focuses on a probable difficulty and results in an action. We're concerned about our children's education, right? So we, we save. Maybe. <laughs> oh, Preston, I don't know, man. It's going to cost you three million bucks when you go to school in six years. That's how it's going, right? So anyway, but, we, but we, we make a plan. We're concerned, so we just action and we, we try to do something, right? And we're concerned about our health, right? If you're concerned about your health, where do you go? You go to the doctor. Now, you, yes, you can worry, but it's different than being concerned. I'm concerned, but if you're worrying, you're already saying, oh, that's it, I'm going to die, but I'm going to go to the doctor and he's going to tell me. Now, you, you should be concerned. If there are symptoms, there are signs, yes, you have a healthy concern. You're concerned, you, you take action, you do something. And you don't worry until you know what the facts are. Well, 
Don't worry at all, right? Because you shouldn't be anxious, because even then, but that's... But, but, you, but worrying, you get ahead of the game so often. Don't be anxious about anything. And so Jesus even said about the man who built a tower, but he was first concerned. It wasn't that he was worried. He was concerned about the total cost of the project. And then if he realized, and he'd make a decision. He, he, wouldn't, he wanted to evaluate. He was, his concern was met with good action, and then he avoided worrying by making a good choice, hopefully. See, worry focuses on uncontrollable problems and results in inaction, more often than not. Worry is useless, and worry is stewing instead of doing. And the secret to overcoming worry is that we are to put trust in Christ above anxiousness about things. Now, I understand, and I, I, I don't, there are many people, not only here, but that I know, or in this world, that struggle with anxiety, and anxiety attacks, and anxiety issues, and I I am not diminishing that. I don't want to diminish that. At one bit, it's real. And some people have told me that one of the things that, that, that they experience, it's like they have all these worries and anxieties, and it's like those rubber band balls, you know, and you keep putting more rubber bands layers on it. And it's like, and, and they're just so, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And when that anxiety, they have this attack or whatever, it's like that whole big rubber band ball just exploded inside of them. And there are rubber band strands and pieces and stuff all over, and they're just... Now, I haven't had that experience. And I, I don't want to minimize what that is, because that's, that's, that, that can't be fun. But there's something we can find in Scripture to help us. And I think we do. And we struggle with it, and, but we keep going back to it, because Psalm 94, 19... See, the trigger of anxiousness should be the engine that drives us into His presence. And as Christians... We learn how to do that, no matter how severe your anxiety is, or if it's ongoing, chronic, or if it's once in a while, or a circumstantial, whatever it is. But he says in Psalm 94, 19, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, and I keep thinking of that rubber band ball, they're multiplying, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know what he says? He says, your consolations, they delight my soul. Whoops, it goes right back to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And don't be anxious about anything. You've got to start with one. You build on it. Don't be anxious about anything. It's no coincidence that right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, he, he, he talks about faith, and faith is a trust, and trust is the opposite of worry. Jesus' stress reduction secret is found in verse 34 of chapter 6 in Matthew. And I'll paraphrase, he basically says, don't get worked, worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. And he, and he encourages them and says, listen, I take care, just like I take care of everything else, I'm going to take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he goes on, right? Don't, don't get worked up about that. Trust means that we practically live out one day at a time. And we, Listen, you know, you know what we need to do? Don't open your umbrella until it rains. Don't do that. Don't worry about anything. Paul, you got to be kidding because i got a lot of stuff. No, you can be concerned. But he tells us to not be anxious and worry and overwhelmed by anything. I know it's easier said than done. But if it's in the Word, we can do it and should do it. Thirdly, we should pray ceaselessly. These are short, trust me. Our third is to pray ceaselessly. In the second part of verse 6, he says, In everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Have you learned yet that whenever God 
as you get rid of something that is negative, he gives you something positive to replace it. He just said, don't be anxious about anything or don't worry about nothing. And now he says, pray about everything. Replace the negative habit of worry with the positive practice of prayer. Boy, we will see things transform in a, I believe in a heartbeat oftentimes. Don't panic. Pray. Don't panic. Pray. Don't panic. Pray. Yell to yourself if you have to. Don't panic. Pray. Talk to God. And I'm telling you, it works. You know, for most of us, if we would stop worrying and being anxious, we'd have a lot of free time on our hands. Because, man, it sucks so much out of you. God can help us, and he wants to help us. We are to commit everything to prayer. Often we pray only about the big things. You know, should I take that new job? Lord, heal me. Lord, I'm in trouble. Get me out. But Paul doesn't say, in the big things by prayer, make your request known to God. What does he say? He says, in everything. Lord, help every moment of this day to be effective for you. Please, Jesus, pray that. Lord, make me more patient as I go into this situation. Lord, impress upon me the importance of serving you, you, serving you if I haven't been, or how I can serve you more. God, should we do this or do that as a, as a couple? Should we do this or that as a family? Pray to God. Every little thing matters. Is it the right time to make this purchase, God? Ask the Lord. He cares. Work on developing an attitude of prayer. It doesn't matter the size. And that's the principle. Pray without ceasing and stress. You start to unload that and you throw it onto God because He cares for you, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. And He cares for you when you do that. It doesn't mean that uh, we walk around audibly talking to God all the time. Listen, if you want to do that, that's okay. I'm fine. But that doesn't mean that, you know? A little different, be interesting, but what he's saying is you cultivate an attitude where you're in constant connection. We talked about that in Sunday school today, about abiding and connecting. Just your mind, your heart, you're connected to God all the time, and you're communicating with Him, and you're talking to Him, and He's talking to you, and you're listening, hopefully. And when you listen, you do, and then you tell Him more, and you thank Him, and you rejoice, and this cycle, and all of a sudden, stress, anxieties, they lift, because you're going to God, and you're doing it without stopping. Prayer is a tremendous pressure release valve in our lives for stress. Please remember that God who made every fingerprint different and the God who made all things is not too small to take care of every, take care of every detail in your life. There is no problem too big for God's power or there's no problem too small for God's concern. Pray about everything. And you will start to realize, man, your attitude, your mindset changes. Fourthly, in the last part of verse 6, give thanks constantly. He marries this with praying. We should be praying with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should be there. Do you think that God answers your prayers by just supplying your request? That He gives you whatever you want all the time? Oh, it's easy to be thankful when we ask for that promotion and it comes or when we pray for that good doctor's report and we get it. But what about the times that God answers your prayers a little differently? Do you still thank Him that He answered? Maybe it's not on your timetable or in the way you think that they should be answered. Are you still thankful? You see, God doesn't see things the same way that we do. Do you know how God sees things? Better. 
Period. Thanks, Justina. Period. He sees things better than you, than your spouse, than your family, than your pastor, than your whatever. He sees things better, more clearly, more fully, eternally. He sees it better. And he can help us to see through a little bit through his eyes if we just pray and give thanks. In everything with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know what? Try seeing life from God's perspective. Be thankful and you'll realize. Go home and make, make a list. We, you've heard this before. You know, the things you take for granted, your eyesight. Man, I hate wearing contacts and I don't want to do laser surgery, but you know what? I wish I had 20-20 vision without contacts. It's a pain. It is. In and out every day, you know. I mean, you're used to it, but it's like every day you're putting this plastic in your eye, right? Listen, but thank God that you can see you have eyesight. Thank God that you have two good legs. In fact, thank God if you have one good leg. Thank God you have freedom, as we know it. Thank God that you have family, no matter how big or small, or even if some of them blow you off. Thank God for family. Thank God for your struggles. Thank God for your whatever. You fill in, the list goes on and on and on when you're thankful. Not only does it please God, but it's a proven fact, and it's, there's some medical and some science behind this, that it reduces stress. Why is that true medically and scientifically? Why? Because it's God's will, and especially for you as a Christian. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, this is the will of God. Because God knows what it does. I know it's your spirit. But when your spirit's good, everything else is good, generally speaking, right? Lastly, you want to reduce stress? The fifth thing is think correctly. You want to talk about something that just summarizes it all and helps us to really, and, and should, if, if we're doing the first four and then we think correctly, it'll help us to think correctly, first of all. But if we are, we will see something amazing happen in our lives because we're going to become more like Jesus for sure. If we start thinking correctly, verse eight, nine, rejoice continually, trust completely, pray ceaselessly, give thanks constantly and think correctly. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But we fill our minds with all kinds of garbage, right? To reduce stress in your life, you must change the way you think. God has given us a gift to choose what you think about. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a tech guy and whatever, and I appreciate tech. I'm not a computer. I'm not savvy. I'm just, most, but most of us understand. I, I, we learned this a long time ago. I remember learning this when I was, like, in elementary school with the little, the Tandy T80 computers, whatever I was learning, right? Or TR, whatever, TR, whatever it was. Texas Instruments. And, and G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. I remember that being told me. You, you, it's only going to do what you tell it to do. And what you put in is going to come out of that computer. And, and somebody else, I had a computer guy tell me it was a while ago. He said, computers are stupid. They're only as good as the operators. And I'm like, oh, geez. I, I, yeah. but, but I mean, garbage in, garbage out. You type it wrong, there will be mistakes. You program it wrong, it's going to come out faulty. And it's true of our spiritual lives too. And the fifth principle is garbage in, garbage out. And honestly, when I look and I see some of what Christians are choosing to put into their minds, I'm not God, I'm not here to judge you. I am just saying, I have great concern. And I'm for myself too. 
but what we put into our mind because it affects how we think. And if we have bad thinking or stinking thinking or whatever you want to call it, when we have that, you're not going to rejoice and you're going to worry and you're going to not thank God and you're not going to pray because you're going to be cons- you're gonna have garbage in there. I can't overstate that because we, we live in a time, and listen, and I don't disagree, just to be clear, but we live in a time where, listen, we value education and knowledge and whatever, and we feel like to be so well-rounded in this world and culturally fit, we have to know every side of the argument, and we have to read all different views, and we, these perspectives, and then involve ourselves in that, so we know experientially, as well as intellectually, and whatever, and then it's garbage coming in, and then what comes out is garbage or we say it's well no it's good but if but listen if it's tainted it's garbage just be careful that's all i'm not pointing fingers and i'm not naming what it is because it's different for all of us i suppose on some levels but listen garbage in garbage out we know what romans 12 2 it says in the living translation says it beautifully don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think Then you will learn to know God's will. When? When you think right. When you have a new mind. And then he says, you'll know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Those are great things. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Who doesn't want that? I do. First, our thought process must be on all these things that I listed. True, noble, I mean, right, noble, Excellent, praiseworthy. He goes on. And you can look up those definitions. They're all really good. And they all require a lot of us. And, and it becomes an outplay. If our mind is right, it affects our character. And then our behavior demonstrates how we're thinking. Please understand that the mind disciplined to dwell on things which have God's approval is the surest way of increasing your Christ-likeness and decreasing stress. And I'll stand by that statement till I die. And then in verse 9, as we close, Paul says, put it all into practice. I'm telling you all this, but I'm going to tell you as an apostle that you should do what I'm doing. In verse 9, he says, put it into practice and put into practice all the things I've taught you, shown you, modeled for you. Paul set a concrete example for Christian living and tells us to mimic it in verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. When you do these things, he reiterates that the God of peace will be with you. When you don't do those things, the God of peace won't be with you. And what I mean by that is you're not going to have God's peace. You're going to be filled with all kinds of other stuff. Peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, you know that word guards? Do you know how powerful it is? It's a military term that means to garrison. It's like to fortify. It's to fortify. And if we're going to, if we're going to, why do we want to allow stress to cause cracks and get in and infect our minds and our spirits when we can we can do these things and apply these these truths these statements to our lives and then there's like a wall built up around us and our mind and nothing can penetrate and we walk in the fullness of the joy that jesus said in john chapter 15 i have told you all these things because i want your joy to be complete it means that it's perfected and it's ongoing not like just when you feel like it because that's not joy that's just happy or a feeling and it comes and goes in your circumstance, but my joy to be complete in you. We're going to close. 
with three quick with three quick questions I have. Because I think that someone here might need this morning to consider. And I ask you to give me just a couple more minutes. And if anything, to take this to heart. I didn't do this in the first service. But I feel I have to do it in this one. See, because I think that there are such things as joy robbers. I know in the beginning I said, no, you can't steal my joy, take it away. But I do believe there actually are joy robbers. I do, biblically speaking, and as Christians. And the first one is that you might have an unsatisfied expectation. That is a joy robber. You know, do you ever feel like you're just going through some joyless routines in life? And if the truth were known, some of us, we're so discontent with the way our lives are progressing. It could be that your expectations for your marriage have not been met or for your workplace or for your kids, how they're growing up, how they're living, and they're not living how they should be or how you want. Or your finances aren't lining up how you wanted, and you don't have everything you want. And, and I'm convinced that a spirit of discontentment robs us of our joy. Secondly, I think that unresolved conflict will rob your joy. I don't care anybody tells me. It will rob your joy. It will take it away and it will not come back until you resolve the conflict. I'm sorry. It's a biblical truth. If you do not resolve conflict with somebody else, you will not have joy. I'm sorry. And I'm not being that. I'm just telling you the truth. And I stand on it. You might feel happy because you did something. You might feel happy or for a moment pacify or at least numb whatever conflict you're going through because I read four scriptures today or I sang a song on the way to work in the car and I was really feeling good. But your joy is robbed because your conflict is unresolved. Do you want an example? Look at the Middle East. Look at our government now. Unresolved conflict, there is no peace, there is no joy. You will not have joy. I'm not yelling at you, but I'm passionate about this. Because we lie to ourselves. And we do certain things and go through acts that are religious or that please God. And we think, listen, you got to do the things Paul said. But you got to resolve conflict with other people or you will not have joy. And I'm not here to squash you down. I want you to be free from that. I'm sick and tired of that. We're all living like that, so much of us. You're not resolving stuff, and your joy is gone. Sometimes it's palpable, it's tangible. You can feel it in the room sometimes, even in the body of Christ sometimes. You have unresolved conflict? Your joy is robbed. I'm not mad, I'm just telling you the truth. And you know what it all comes down to? There's another joy, Robert. It's connected to that very closely. Because if you have unconfessed sin, you ain't having joy. You are not having joy if there's unconfessed sin. It's impossible. It's impossible. But I want to tell you something really cool. Because in Psalm 51, David, man, he messed up bad. Oh, he paid the price. His life was never the same. It was never restored to the same thing he had before. You can look at the history. It was never the same. But there was something he prayed in Psalm 51. At the end, he says, Restore to me what? The joy of my salvation. The joy. He didn't have joy. 
Because it was unresolved conflict that he had to deal with forever and it hit his own home and his son died and all the garbage that happened as a result of his sin. But he was forgiven in the end because he confessed it. And when he confessed it, God restored joy to him. It didn't mean he didn't have to deal with the ramifications of everything that happened. But the joy was restored in his life. And he could keep writing songs. And we, we read them today and we're encouraged by them. But there are absolutely joy robbers. Please don't leave this morning without taking care of this. Because if you have unconfessed sin, you have unresolved conflicts in your life, and you're struggling with that, or you're just completely discontented because you're not grateful... Your joy is not going to be there. You're not going to have the joy of the Lord. But God wants you to have that. Jesus wants your joy to be complete. He wants to give that to you. And we're told by Paul that we should rejoice and rejoice again. So it's possible and it's something God wants for you. And so I challenge you as we leave that you make it right and have the joy restored in your life so that what you're living for, there's a pep in your step, if you will, and you wake up and you feel like you know what you're living for and you're excited to do it and you're happy about it and you're not like grumpy every single day. We go through phases, I get it, I go through them too. But that you know inside who you are and that those things aren't there to steal your joy in spite of whatever else is going on. Today's the day to do it. Why would you wait? I mean, I'm being serious. I know it's, I get it, it's 1210. Why would you wait? Do you want to keep being miserable? I'm not here to manipulate you or force you. I'm just asking an honest question that I think needs an answer from you. If you're not, if you're not living in the joy and you can't rejoice in the Lord, which is the first step of those five for reducing stress in your life. I'm going to pray. And when after I pray, if you want prayer, if you want to stay and linger and seek God, or if you need to make something right or confess to the Lord, the altar is open. I know it's 1210, and we've got a hike coming up. But if you leave, please leave quietly so that people can take this seriously and let the Holy Spirit work. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. God, I pray that you would just touch our hearts, that you would cause us, Lord, to reflect on the Apostle Paul's word and apply these principles to our lives so that we could reduce stress in our lives and live in the joy and the victory that you've given us. And have the abundant life. And God, I pray for these joy robbers that I mentioned at the end, Lord God, that if there is anyone here, that they would settle these things, they would make it right, and that the joy of their salvation would be restored to them, Lord. Lord, I, just, I pray against unconfessed sin. I pray that it would be revealed and that it would be confessed. I pray, Lord God, that there would be contentment that replaces discontentment, Lord God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, if there's unresolved conflict, that brother and sister would be right with each other that your joy could flood our hearts and our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are the joy giver and that you restore our joy. You love us so much as simply as us coming to you and just laying it out there to you and making it right, Lord God. I pray that we would not delay. But bless us as we go that we might truly walk with rejoicing in our days. In your name we pray. Amen.